0: that was all I had to say don't you <laughs> <laughs> hi everybody my name's is Jeannie Clement alcoholic hi, Jeannie. and let me wait a minute. through God's grace the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and strong sponsorship I've been sober since March 1st 1981 um, I'll play with that stuff all the way through if I don't put it down there um Last night, right before I went upstairs, somebody said, I hope you sleep well. I said, I never have any trouble sleeping. So last night, I was up on the hour, every single hour. Um, I prayed before I went to bed, you know, and uh, God answered my prayer. And my whole life was, like, flashing before my eyes. It would take hours, though, so we won't do that later. (laughs) Um, Anyway. I'm not from the Pacific group. Um, <laughs> I, it was just because there were two of them last night, I guess. Um, and you know, uh, my home group is Giant East 4th Street, which is not on East 4th Street. It's now Giant, but it wasn't when they named it that. And um, it's in, it meets on Wednesday nights in Newport, Kentucky. Um, and uh, we've moved it around a few times, but uh, it stays the same, the same people, and it's real special to me. And a lot of those people are here. If you're all wondering why there's cheering, Um, which is nice. It's nice. It's nice to go someplace. I don't know. I I used to. I think I needed a Valium to go to my home group. I hated it. Um, Every week I'd call somebody up and say, I'm not going back there again and because nobody acted right you know they didn't do what they were supposed to do and they did do what they weren't supposed to do and if you spoke to me i didn't like it and if you didn't speak to me i didn't like it and if you spoke to her i didn't like it and you know we always have to really go through hours after the meeting you know talking about everybody and um so i thought i you know i I would always call somebody and say i'm not going this week uh my sponsor finally told me jeannie you have to grow up somewhere and um so i kept going and that's what happened uh and, and those people are um, really special to me. I was, I was talking to Sally yesterday, and, um, you know, you, they don't even have to speak. We don't even have to speak to each other. Just seeing each other across the room, you just know that that person's glad you're there. You're glad they're there, and it's just okay then. It's a real special thing. I don't know how Alcoholics Anonymous works, which is good. If I could understand God, we'd all be in big trouble. <laughs> um, and uh, so anyway um, I come from a family of drunks which is, was a really good thing because nobody tried to interfere with my drinking you know we were all too busy drinking to interfere with each other's drinking and um, I feel sorry for my kids I mean the minute they take a drink we're like on them you know you need treatment uh, and that's, that's not what happened you know I got to actually do it all you know I mean not that it was good but I got to do it all um first hand I I like first hand knowledge evidently I do because I insist on it all the time Um, and I don't know it was fun it was a really good uh, childhood now when I got here I would have told you it was hell Um, my perception have you ever I don't know if they have it in the newspaper here I thought of this last night when I was thinking Um, they're in the on the comic page they have books of these things too they put them at doctor's offices where you're bored you know And they're pictures, they're computer images that are all the same thing, over and over, repeats. But then if you put them right by your eyes and you move them out slowly, you get to see this other picture in there. And um, that's pretty much what my life was like. You know, all I saw was all this stuff. You know, I couldn't see really what happened until after I'd been sober for a long time. They say you can't change the past. Uh, mine's changed a lot <laughs> since I got here. You know, I, I I would have told you my father was mean, my mother was mean, uh, my brothers and sisters were mean, and they probably were. But I was mean too. And um, you know, I could always tell you more about them than I would about me. Uh, I was very observant of other people's behavior, not at all observant of my own. Um, I could step on your toe a hundred times, and if you stepped on mine, I'd run tell somebody you stepped on my toe. It wasn't until I got to AA and people, you know, like home group and stuff, where I'd do that and somebody would say, Jeannie, you were stamping on his feet all night long. And I'd say, I was? (laughs) No wonder he stepped on your toe. Um, He wanted you to leave him alone. And uh, it just, I had no, you know, I don't know. Um, Looking back today, it was a really good upbringing. There were, you know animals and places to go and be by yourself and plenty of room and like I said lots of booze to steal um and and I had a really good time I was strange from the beginning um just like we we all are listening to people's leads last night I remembered stuff that was strange about me you know um When I was in first... I wouldn't go to school, first of all. And they finally had to tell me that they would put me in jail if I didn't go to school. That's the only reason I went to school, was because they told me in kindergarten that the truant officer... I wouldn't go to kindergarten. They said, you have to go this year or they'll put you in jail. So I went. Um, But then in first grade, you know how you grow plants for your mother on Mother's Day? In a little milk carton with dirt and all that. Mine was the only one that didn't grow. And... (laughs) I turned everybody else's upside down on the windowsill. <laughs> now, I don't remember doing that. Someone told me that later. But that's the kind of stuff that I would do. And, and see, I don't know that I'm like that. I really, I had no idea that I'm like that until I was, you know, probably, well, I was going to say five, but probably ten years sober. I didn't even know I was like that. Uh, and I went through life with that kind of, of attitude. Um, I drank as soon as I could. It never occurred to me not to drink. Nobody ever said don't drink. Uh, I was probably in teenage years sometime. I don't know. At that time, the exciting thing to do was go to the drive-in with the boys, and I wanted the, you know, Schlitz or Colt 45. I didn't want burger beer or some dumb, you know, icky stuff. I wanted the real thing that would get me there right away, right off the bat. I never minded throwing up. I never minded falling down. I thought that's what men were for, to hold you up. D- dates, especially. Dates, especially. Um, I don't know where I got that idea. I watched a lot of movies on TV. <laughs> I still watch the same ones over and over again. <laughs> My husband says we've seen this movie 14 times. I said, I know, isn't it wonderful? Um, I, it's, it's exciting to me. I don't know why. You know, all the old, they all had drunks in them, the ones I really liked. Uh, So I drank, and it was fun, and I didn't try to hide it or anything. That was the nice thing about our family. You didn't have to try to hide it, because everybody drank. And I never stood out, I didn't think. I never stood out, my drinking never stood out. The other really good thing about being, I had six brothers and sisters, and somebody was always getting in trouble. The older ones, especially, really helped me out. They were always wrecking cars and things like that, and that takes all the you know light off of you. They're, your parents are so busy paying attention to this one over here that's really screwing up that you can get by with a lot of stuff. And I did that for years and pointed my finger at those at my older brother's and sister and said, "You know they are really bad." Um, I don't know. Well should have been up with me last night (laughs) I I don't know if it's over or not Uh, I don't know Um, I went away to college I do know that I was an alcoholic by the time I was in my early twenties looking back on it after being in these rooms and listening to a lot of people stand at podiums like this and try to tell their stories I found out that that's definitely when I cross that invisible line or whatever you want to call it i drank as much as i could i was blacking out by then i was passing out a lot by then my primary purpose in life by then was drinking i wasn't able to be around other people comfortably unless i had a lot to drink i immediately found the people in chicago that drank like i did i don't know how we do that but i did it i uh I felt very lonely and miserable. The biggest problem that I had at that time was I was 21 years old, and everybody, you know, you're graduating from college, and everybody's saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? (laughs) And I mean, I've never known what I wanted to be when I grew up. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Um, I was not good at long-range planning. (laughs) You know, my goal was to go to the bar that night. And and I usually accomplished my short-term goals. Um... I, I had no idea what I wanted to be, and I was at school with all these wonderful women, and some of them I'm still in touch with today, which is unusual because I usually burnt people off pretty quick. I don't have a whole lot of friends from the past. That was not a problem when I got sober to leave my old friends. <laughs> I didn't have any, um, and my husband was hoping I would leave. And, and uh, I, they all knew what they wanted to be. They were studying to be that Today, they are lawyers, and they are doctors, and they are speech therapists, and they are interior designers. I mean, it was a whole spectrum of stuff. Today, I know that I was doing what I needed to do to be what I was going to be when I grew up. (laughs) I was drinking. And, you know, here I am. I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous. I I was doing what I was doing. You know, I mean, I needed to do those things. Uh, They were wonderful women. They really were. And... uh, I never thought I was, you know, and, and I, it embarrassed me not to know what I wanted to be. I was going to be a teacher, so I got my teaching certificate, but I was so afraid being in a classroom with teenagers that I never, ever got any further than, with that. I mean, I was terrified. Uh, I, I had this um, suspicion that they knew more than I did, which they probably <laughs> did. Um, also, I thought, you can't meet men teaching high school. I mean, you know, how are you going to meet? They're all going to be teenagers. I can't do this. Um, so I, I started working for a bank when I got back to Cincinnati. Um, and I drank. I drank in bars. And now I was drinking in bars alone, where I didn't know very many people. And that got pretty ugly pretty fast. I, I was pretty pathetic by then. I thought the bouncers were my boyfriends because they were there every night. And, I mean, I really thought that they were there to see me. I did. I thought they were there because I was going to be there. And, you know, I never met any men in the bars but the bouncers. And they had to be there every night and so did I. You know, it was a job. I needed to be there every night. Um, a friend of mine from high school introduced me to the, the, this guy that I, I ended up marrying. And uh, he was not an alcoholic. Now, he came from a long... I mean, he, his family was a very ill family, we found out years later. Um, but he uh, is very attracted to alcoholics. The thing I like about him is we got divorced and he um, went into alcoholism counseling and I thought he missed me, you know? He needed, he needed hundreds of drunks to replace me. He was dying to get rid of me. And uh, I was really fat by the time I got to AA and he... he uh, now, he, he also counsels fat women. And I thought, you know, he really misses me. Um, anyway, I met him and married him. And, and, you know, I really thought that that was going to be the trick. I wasn't drinking when I met him. I, had, I was able still at that point to stop for a good reason. The good reason was to lose weight to find a man. And that's what I did. I found a man. I wasn't drinking. I was skinny. He was very shocked later to find out that this was not who I was. Um because I started drinking again right away and those were in the days when they had liter bottles you know they would put liter bottles of wine it became the fad at some point on the tables you know and I loved it because then you didn't have to just have that one bottle that you knew was going to be empty and order another one they kept filling those liter things and I could drink as much as I wanted he did not like to take me out by the time this marriage was over because (laughs) I was always fight with the waitress because she was too slow I would be belligerent in the restaurant and embarrass him. He also did not want me to eat or drink. So, so you can't go anywhere. Um, it, was, it was not a marriage made in heaven. I'll put it that way. Uh, my sponsor later told me, Jeannie, the best things that will ever happen to, to you will be things that you have nothing to do with. Uh, I try not to have plans today. That way, really wonderful surprises happen. When I have plans, we're getting ready for a really bad time. <laughs> um, really bad time. That took years for me to learn. Sober, it really did. Um, Fast forward. I did end up getting married. I had two children. Uh, I have a daughter who's 19 years old today and a son who is 17, 16. I always wanted him to be older than he was. (laughs) I still do. Uh, I mean, I remember when he was 6 telling somebody he was 8 because I really wanted him to go to this camp. And this woman looked at me and she said, she said, said, He's eight, And I said, yeah. And she looked at him and she said, how old are you? And he said, six. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, oh, I, I, I don't know. I thought he was eight. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to get through with this, you know. Kid, kids is something, you know, sort of like staying sober. You never get through with it. It's always there. Once you have them, you have them. And I had them for the wrong reasons. I had them because the marriage didn't fix me. And I thought that having babies makes you feel like this whole woman and this yeah, makes you feel like a tired woman is what it makes you feel like. And um, I immediately I immediately did not like it. I was mad at the people that told me how wonderful it was. And it was just one more thing that didn't work. You know, the college education didn't work. The, the husband didn't work. Being thin didn't work. Um, babies didn't work. Uh, all kinds of stuff didn't work. Um, my daughter... She's been sober for, it'll, if she, well, I'll say a year. <laughs> it's getting close. But she's been sober for a year um, in Alcoholics Anonymous. And she just moved into an apartment. And it. she thinks it is just the most wonderful place in the world. And her stepsister and I went over to see it. We went to buy her some things and take them back to her. And uh, my daughter Tracy kept saying, Get antibacterial. Get antibacterial. (laughs) Everything we bought, get antibacterial. Anyway, and I'm thinking, why does this child want to, why does she think this apartment is so wonderful? Um, Because it isn't. And uh, I realized her whole life, I had her living in places like that and didn't even know it. Um, We always bought these terrible rundown houses, and then we were going to fix them up. You know, I think it was like my life. I had this terrible, I wished I could fix it up. Um, We were always living in, you know, with one sink and plaster dust, and they probably have lead poisoning and everything else. But that's just what we did. Um, It kept me busy, and I could stay at home and drink, and I liked it. Uh, so she thinks this is a wonderful place, and she's lived in places like that all her life. I can understand why. Um, we, uh, we did that, and, and finally what happened was one of those people in my family, you know, everybody gets so mad at their families, and our families are so sick, and one of these people in my family came to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, she did it herself which I could never have done, and she brought me with her. And if she hadn't, I wouldn't be standing up here today. Um, It's that simple. I never went anywhere without her for a couple of, uh, quite a while, a long time. I was sober for a long time, and I wouldn't even tell you my name. And then you'd start saying, you're so-and-so's sister, and then I would get mad at you because you didn't know my name, but I wouldn't tell it to you. And um, then I got resentful at her because you knew her name. And it, it, you know, it was not fun. But anyway, she brought me to A.A., We went out and had a beer. She said she thought she was an alcoholic. She'll tell you herself that she had to start doing twelve step work before she could ever get sober. She um, would go home and drink after every meeting. And since she started, when the moment she started bringing me to meetings, she didn't she didn't drink anymore when she went home. Uh, And I didn't either. I haven't had a drink since the first meeting I went to. Now I have no idea I was an alcoholic. I didn't know what it meant to be alcoholic. We did know I drank a lot. (laughs) Um, We knew I was very miserable. By then, I had started the rounds of the doctors and the psychiatrists, and you know, I was always working on the wrong problem. I'm fat, so I. We live in Fort Thomas, Kentucky now, and there's this fat doctor over there. I mean, I had no idea where Fort Thomas, Kentucky was at that time, but I was willing to drive over there to find this fat doctor. Of course, the answer to being fat is don't eat, and (laughs) and I never could get that. Um, You know, I always thought it was something else, like fix me. And and they just would say, "Don't eat so much." <laughs> oh darn! And uh, I knew there was a different answer, but I was working on that kind of problem. And then the marriage was just terrible. Um, I was always thinking it was something other than it was. I never ever believed it was me. But I came to the meetings and I started crying. Now I was wearing maternity dresses at the time because I was very heavy. And um, this woman came in and she said, "Oh, are you are you going to have a baby?" And the baby had been born a year before that. <laughs> I was ticked. So don't ever ask anybody if they're going to have a baby. I learned that lesson. I still don't like the girl. I haven't seen her in a while, but I don't care if I ever do. Um, and I cried. And I didn't work the steps. Um, I, went to a, I was going to a 12 and 12 meeting. We were reading about the steps. There were things in there that I begged to differ on. You know, things like, if you're upset, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I did not like that one. Um... <laughs> that really bothered me and then when it then there was one I really liked that said something about how sick the other people were and I liked that one um I always thought that was true and uh I don't know I went to these meetings for a couple years and I'd only go I, I you know they say don't drink go to meetings and read the big book so I thought if you just didn't drink you'd you know that's okay if that's if you can just not drink don't do anything else so i didn't drink, and every now and then I would get insane and go to a meeting with my sister, only with my sister where and so I drove you know like twenty miles to go to meetings with my sister because I couldn't go by myself um, I remember there were people in those meetings, my sponsor and I used i uh, would talk about anonymity and he would say what it means Jeannie is that there's, the people that help you won't even know they're helping you and you will help people you don't even know you're helping I thought what? I mean I thought this was all about you know you help me and I'll tell you how and uh, <laughs> let me tell you what I need and, and, uh, and those people I remember today that would say things to, you know I would be crying and saying you know by then I was had been sober long enough that I real, that I was realizing you know that I needed to find a different problem or something, and I said, well, if, if, if you guys weren't fat, I mean, if you guys were fat, you'd understand how I feel, because I'm fat, and of course you can be happy being sober, but I can't, because I'm fat, and uh, you know, they would, they would just say things to me that would really, um, I'd say, nobody ever says hello to me, and this woman looked at me, and she said, did you ever think maybe you were self-centered? well that really made me mad I, all the way home I was mad about that so I know a lot of things but I'm not self-centered now I had I had not obviously touched this I, well, I read that I was reading things like the alcoholic family and trying to figure out whether I was the hero or the lost child Or the, there was one that had a graph in it and I, could, I was too brain dead to read this graph that ticked me off I never read any more of that because um, this graph totally confused me um, but I was, I was trying to figure out for years at the beginning of my sobriety why I was an alcoholic, and I guess that the next step in that is if I find out why, I won't be anymore. Um, it took a long time to realize that finding out why was kind of a waste of time because you're still going to be one when you get done. <laughs> Who cares why? Uh I don't know. Lots of things like that happened. I cried all the time. People to this day in Cincinnati remember me crying at meetings. I didn't cry quietly. I sobbed. I sobbed. And if I really got upset, I—I I mean, I, you know, sobbed, sobbed. <laughs> Nobody ever said, "Why are you crying, Jeannie?" <laughs> I, w- I wish someone would have asked because I could have told you. My father was mean, and he was a drunk, and my mother was a drunk, and she wasn't getting sober, and I had all this stuff ready for you if you asked why but nobody asked why Um, today I can look back and realize I wasn't drinking and I wasn't doing anything else (laughs) to help myself and that is a very sad thing to me I mean I missed alcohol bad I was grieving if you will I was grieving it badly Um, I I don't know there's so many things that have happened Um, when I was said at the beginning I'm not a member pacific group you know the idea of anonymity. Um, Clancy helped me so much, and he has no idea he ever did. I hope he's not in here. I didn't see him earlier. I hope he's still in bed. Anyway, he helped me so much. Um, He was talking in Columbus one time about, I don't know, 10 or 11 years ago, and it was just a one-day thing, and it was at the university, and I had had this resentment against this girl in my home group because I thought she did something unforgivable. <laughs> she went out with this guy I thought I wanted to go out with. And, of course, see, I was divorced by now. I forgot to say I got divorced. I did get divorced. That was, a, that was interesting. We went to counseling, and they kept saying, what are you going to do? And I'd go back to my sponsor and say, what am I going to do? And he'd say, don't drink, go to meetings, and read the big book. So I told that to this counselor, and this man just said, and what else? <laughs> I don't know. And... Uh, <laughs> Finally I said it to this different counselor, I said something like, Why don't we try a separation? And this guy was out of here. Yes, that's a great idea. <laughs> Why don't we? And he was he's been gone ever since. And it was it really is the best thing that ever happened to me, you know, it real, and and to him. Um anyway, so I had this resentment against this woman and I mean I I hated her. I mean, you know what that hate is, that really when you know someone has definitely interfered with God's will for you. <laughs> Like, that's possible. And uh, I didn't have much of a concept of God at the time, you know. And so there she was. She was sitting in a clubhouse. I went over to the clubhouse, and I had to sit at that table because there wasn't anybody else there except for her and these other people. And we, um, I don't even remember how it happened. I must have done the inventory. I must have known I needed to make the amend and decided not to. And... So we ended up driving all the way to Columbus to hear Clancy. Everybody said, you got to go hear Clancy. He's crazy. He's wonderful. So we drove to Columbus together, and I got to make amends to this girl, and I found out that what I thought was God's will wasn't much fun for her either. (laughs) But but anyway, uh, my idea didn't work for her either. But... but, you know, I remember we met him at the door of this place he was supposed to stay. We were the only ones there; no one else was around. We got to carry his suitcases. I was his bags. We got to. We thought it was really neat at the time. You know, we were five minutes sober, and here's this guy who's been sober a long time. I would. I was really honored to carry his bags up to his room. Um, another time, I went to this conference in Texas. I was supposed to be all excited. This is. This is how we... Know, I don't know. The way I know it's God's will is I say the prayer and go on and forget about it. Um, the man that sponsored me, sponsor's his sponsor his name was Wino Joe, and he was from Texas. And he had a collection of big books. And he had every... They have, you know, different numbers in the front. Printings and editions. There's first, second, third edition, and however... This is the 49th printing of the... Uh, what edition? I don't know. But anyway... There was one he was missing, so I don't know how many big books he had, and there was one he was missing, and my sponsor came back from Texas, and he said to all of us that he sponsored, I would really love to find this book for him to make his, his collection complete. So I remember, you know, walking around my apartment, by then I was in an apartment with my kids and me, and I just said, you know, God, I'd really like to find this thing if I could, you know, it's like finding a needle in a haystack, I mean, where are you going to find the, it was, it was printed during World War II, I think, or something, so I'm going to my regular Friday night meeting. I had twenty dollars with me because I was in Kentucky and I was going to buy cigarettes. <laughs> that's the only reason I carried money was to get me something. And, um, <laughs> and we you know, I'm going over there and I stop at this bookstore just because I happened to see it. I never noticed it before. And I go in and I said, "Do you have any old, you know, old copies of Alcoholics?" "Mom, like, we got that one old, you know, and we opened it up and that's sure as hell, that's what it was, the exact edition, the exact printing." I mean I was shaking but then I put it in this paper bag and when I got to the meeting I never said anything I just dropped it in front of my sponsor and I got to go to Texas with him to give this book to, uh, to Wino Joe well I was very this was I mean I'm telling you I was eight years sober probably six or eight years sober most self-centered person you would ever want to meet and had no idea that that was my problem um, I really thought it was something else. I was still like, what's the matter with me? And uh, my sponsor would say, I don't know, Jeannie. <laughs> but, but your new people will let you know. And um, I only worked with new people because I had no other choice. Uh, um, that's another story. Anyway, um, we got down there, and it was this horrible ice sto- storm. We got there early, but it was all this ice. I mean, nobody was going anywhere. And, you know, Clancy got to Dallas, and he couldn't go any further. The, the idiot... Went in a car and went out on these icy roads and drove all the way there to get there. And that impressed me. That's the only thing I really... Re- I don't remember seeing the big book collection. I was not at all impressed. I was too busy thinking about myself. But I do remember that somebody was willing. He wasn't going back to California. He was going to make it there if he had to walk. And uh, that, that made an impression on me. There's things like that. I mean, so who knows what any of us do that's going to make an impression on another person. I guess people put the way people put that is to say... Uh, you may be the only big book somebody sees. And um, so I'm not a member of the Pacific group, and Clancy's not my sponsor, but he's helped me a lot. And I'm sure that all of us can look around these rooms or remember back the things that were really critical, that that happened at really critical times. Um, What time is it? Okay. Working with new people, that was really a trip. Um, I would call people up and tell them what the matter was that day. (laughs) It was, you know, the problem du jour. And I was talking to my sister, because I usually burdened her with this stuff, and she said, "There's a new person at this hospital go pick her up and take her to a meeting." And Of course, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to talk about my problem, and she hung up on me, which really upset me because she was about the only one left talking to me by then. and so I went over to this hospital and I picked this um, woman up, and it, it, I don't notice it anymore. I don't really think it happens that a lot anymore. But at the time, you had to sign the people out. So I had to put my name down on a piece of paper that I was taking Dixie with me. So I wrote it down. I'm taking Dixie with me. So we're, we get out in the hall, and Dixie has his cup of ice water. She throws it up against the wall. And I just stood there, and I didn't go clean it up. I was so proud of myself. I mean, that's what I normally, you know, I, was, I cleaned for like the first two years I was sober. I cried and cleaned. Um, but I, I knew I didn't think I had to clean that up. So I just stood in there, and we went downstairs. The minute we got out the door of the hospital, she took off. And I didn't run after her. <laughs> I was so proud of myself. I mean, what am I, you know, it really, I understood. What are you going to do? Don't get between a drunk and a drink. You'll get killed. And, um... <laughs> do, pin her down and say, you're staying sober today, because I said so. Um, So I went back in the hospital and called upstairs, and they all knew she was going to run away. (laughs) They're all hollering up and down the halls, Dixie, ran, Dixie, ran. But I was willing to go get her. I saw her a couple years later. She, I guess, was in the same hospital. There was a place to buy beer right near the hospital, and she had two or three bottles of beer and was heading for the park across the street. And I said, hi, Dixie, and she just kept going. Um, You know, these people... Those are the kind of people that have helped me, and she doesn't know she helped me. I did an institution meeting because um, this my sister and a friend of hers took me to this hospital and sat me down in this room with this the chief psychiatrist of this hospital, and he's telling me how alcoholism, you know, is is not complicated by other disorders other disorders are complicated by alcoholism and I'm sitting there saying yeah 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 and he's saying really these people are very depressed and this is wrong with them and that's wrong with them and they drink a little but we want you to do this meeting and I didn't argue I just said okay and I and I went and did this meeting um, I did a meeting there Thursday nights for years had no idea what I was doing uh, still thought I was helping other people um, People talk about getting self worth. <laughs> all I had was self worth. That's the only—you know—I'm the only person I ever cared about in my life, and uh, so it was not a problem of self worth. It was a problem of uh, self centeredness. Anyway, so I went there and did this meeting, and I can—I can see their faces today, and not one of them is sober. Um, one lady taught me about alcoholism. I was reading the book by now, but I still didn't understand what I was reading. She said. I drank last night, and the nurse wanted to know why, and I said, well, did you tell her why? I was, you know, getting ready to hear the reason, because I always had reasons, and I didn't know that we drank because we were, I mean, I didn't understand that yet, that we drink because we're alcoholic, and she said, well, yeah, I told her I drank because I'm an alcoholic, (laughs) and I said, oh, that's right, that is why we drink. (laughs) This other guy, this other guy was a minister, very sad minister, and he was in and out over the years, he was in and out of, of the psych ward. And he would sit there, and we would talk, and he would at least sit up for that part, and he would say, well, I used to be an alcoholic. I used to be an alcoholic, and uh, I don't drink anymore, and I've never gone to AA. And he's sitting in the meeting, of course, because there's nothing else to do on the sideboard. And, um, and he said that over and over again to me for years, that he used to be an alcoholic. So I got to see what happens if you think that you're going to used to be, if you, if you think you're not going to be one anymore, then you get to be a psychiatric patient. Um, Well, that's really, it's it's what happened to the poor guy. It was what happened to the poor guy. Um, The day that I stopped doing that meeting, I gave it to somebody else to do. Uh, They were changing everything, and I got mad about it, of course, and I thought, well, I'm not doing this meeting here anymore because they're changing the rules. So I gave it to someone else to do, and I was walking down the corridor of that hospital, and I knew without a shadow of a doubt that those people had kept me sober all those years, that I had done nothing for them at all that they had taught me what it means to be an alcoholic, they had taught me that alcoholic, what Alcoholics Anonymous does for us um, they don't know that, I don't know where they are today they helped me immeasurably um, I could tell you hundreds of stories about that, the people that I sponsor today I didn't even like, I mean I didn't want to sponsor anybody um, especially if they were pretty, I definitely didn't want to sponsor them Uh, um, My sponsor would tell me over and over again Because I would always be really burdened with the past stuff And he would say He would read the part in the book about Cling to the thought that in God's hands The dark past is the greatest asset you have With it you can avert death and misery for others Which did not appeal to me I did not want to avert death and misery for others I wanted you all to be miserable like I was And uh, I loved my neighbor as myself I hated me and I hated you And you know I thought I wanted good things for me, but I sure didn't want good things for you. You know, I I had this limited idea of God. Um, People people, oftentimes I hear say, I had this idea of a punishing God. Um, I don't think I even had an idea of a punishing God. I was a punishing person, and the problem was I thought God was like me. For years, I thought God was like me, which meant there was never enough, you know. And if she got a boyfriend, there wasn't going to be that one for me. And if you got a new job, that was meant I wasn't getting it. And if you had a lot of money, that took money out of my pocket somehow. I don't know how I thought that, but that's how I felt. I had a very I did not know there was enough for everyone. I didn't know he wanted us all to be happy. <clears throat> I'd come to these conventions and hear people talk from these podiums about how much better their life had gotten, and I hated them. I would cry and tell my sponsor, you know, why isn't that happening for me? And and uh, today I'm up here and it has happened for me, in spite of myself. That's another thing that was drummed into my head, Jeannie. Most of it's all going to be in spite of you, in spite of you, not because of you, in spite of you. Um, I have fought this all the way. I would argue with my sponsor one time. He drew me a picture of a brain <laughs> on a uh, piece of paper, and you know how those signs are—they he put a circle around it with a line through it. <laughs> Don't think, Jeannie. <laughs> I mean, I, I needed visual aids. I was because I always was thinking about myself. It was just ter- uh, it was so boring. Um, my children saved my life many times. When I got divorced, I never would have gotten out of bed again, I don't think, because I was scared to death. I had no God in my life, and, and you know the person that I was relying on for everything was leaving. I treated him terribly. <laughs> I was relying on him for everything. Um, Years later, he drove down the street. I'd been sober for a while and Alcoholics Anonymous. He drove down the street. The children were with me. i just moved into a house. Um, a whole bunch of people from AA had helped me fix it up. They were all on the porch. The girls I sponsor were helping me move in. They were all on the porch. Uh, the idiot that I was running around with, buying guns, and <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I was dating, but I wasn't, um, was on the porch. Um, The babysitter that God had put in my life said that I had a babysitter every single night my sponsor said, do not stay home and try to be a good mother. You do not know how. (laughs) It was the nicest thing he could have done for my children because if I had tried to stay home and be a good mother, when I did, it was not pretty. My daughter one time told me, you're too mean to be a mother. (laughs) I said, you're right, but I'm yours. Um, Anyway, we were all standing on this porch and my ex-husband drives by and he's waving and smiling and I'm waving and smiling and you know, I realized it took thirty people plus the entire fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous to replace what I expected that man to do for me. You know, when I put the responsibility of somebody being God on another person, it is it's horrible for them and it's Horrible for me. Really, it's more horrible for them. He tried. I mean, he tried to babysit the children and rehab the house and bring home the money and be a lover and be a, you know, uh, uh, and date me and do all that stuff that I expected. But no human being can do all that, you know, at least not and have a good time. Um, I always wanted to put that responsibility on one other individual. Now, I'd like to say that I. Learned that lesson and never did that again. Um, There are many stories, many stories of me trying to do that again. Um, One time I almost got myself to the psych ward. I bought a boat. I bought a $30,000 boat. Mortgaged that house, bought a $30,000 boat because I thought this, I mean, this guy and I were going to have a wonderful time on the Ohio River. Um, He did have a wonderful time, but I wasn't on the boat at the time, I don't think. Uh, I, had, I was scared to death of this boat. There's a guy here today who taught me finally how to drive that boat before I got it, sold it. Um, but I was ready for the psych ward by the time we got into this boat deal. I mean, I was driving down to this boat dock in the middle of the night you know, checking the boat. I was terrified. I learned to pray myself to sleep during that time because it's the only way I could sleep because I, was, I had plans. I told you, when I've got plans, it is really hard work and serious business and scary. Um, Self-reliance has failed me over and over again. And, and when I'm afraid, I know I'm probably counting on myself. Or probably another human being, maybe a little bit too much. Um, we got through that. My sponsor finally looked at me one day and said, Jeannie, you know better than this. <laughs> and you know, I respected the man so much that when he said it, I thought, yeah. You know, I calmed down and I just, I stayed away from it. And I did get better. Um, God will... Will do for me what I can't do for myself. We all talk about these obsessions we get into. I can't stop. I can't stop doing this. I can't stop doing that. And, I, um, you know, when I finally get fed up enough and I get sick enough with it and get on my knees and I say, God, I do not care what you do. I don't care if he dies. I don't care if I die. I don't care if the nuclear war starts. I don't care what happens. Do something. He does it. I mean, the people that, that I think have been my problem when I'm doing that, when I'm obsessing about other people... They are literally removed from my life. I cannot get to them. I try to get to them again, <laughs> usually, but I mean i they won 't open the door. They hang up the phone on me. They go to a bar. then I you know I was able to not go into a bar by then. I did know that if i was if I went to the bar after him, what it probably meant was that I wanted to drink, and you know that 's what all those obsessions mean. I found out later when there's something that I am just stuck on like that, and I will not let it go. what i 'm really telling you is I want to drink. I want to drink. I might not be thinking, I want a drink. And I'm certainly not craving one because I haven't had one yet. But that's what that, those obsessions do. They lead me down that path to another drink. Um, it, it, by the grace of God, those things were removed. The stuff that I haven't been able to to uh, do anything about. I've been fat and I've been thin. I remember telling this guy in my home group, these are the smallest pair of I've got the smallest pair of jeans on that I own. And he just looked at me real innocently, and he said, is that good? (laughs) I mean, after that, I thought, I guess it doesn't matter if you're fatter than, I mean, I really thought it mattered, you know. Um, They were tight, but (laughs) I had them on, and uh, it turned out, you know, I mean, that's when I got divorced, when I was the thinnest I'd been in years, you know. My daughter, I brought this, the first sponsor I had, never did the steps, I don't think. She told me to work with Clay when it came time for the four-step, but we weren't, allowed to work, we weren't allowed to work with Clay in my house because it messed up the house. So um, I never did work with Clay, but she did take me out and buy me this dress to go to this first AA um, Thanksgiving banquet I went to. And I came down the hall with this dress on, and my, my daughter said, what is that thing around your waist? I said, it's a belt. <laughs> I mean, you know, these kids really were distorted. From, <laughs> I mean, she kid never saw a belt in her life. She was probably 10. Um, that, those kids, I mean, I would take them to school and they'd have problems in school. And I would go to the conferences, and I guess I learned it from all of you. By then I was with people who accepted me for who I was. You know, we would laugh about the fact we weren't hiding the fact that we were alcoholic, that we were distorted, that our thinking was it's strange, exaggerated, you know, that, that it wasn't exactly normal here, whatever normal is. And um, I would go to these conferences, and they'd say, well, she's acting like this. And I'd say, well, they say they're afraid to, she's afraid to ask questions. I said, if I was your mother, you'd be afraid to ask questions too. I mean, you know, I, I that's, you know, that's just the way it was. They'd say, she doesn't, he, he doesn't know his times tables. And I'd say right in front of him, I don't know mine either. <laughs> I'm all right. I mean, you know, what do you need to know your times tables for? Um... I worked in a bank. Hell, I didn't know my table I still don't know them all, you know. I, tr- I learned a trick with nine, but anything between five and nine it's iffy. Um, these teachers did not understand this, you know. They wanted to put, put them on Ritalin. They were hyperactive. Well, Timmy was always underneath the uh, furniture, and Jamie was always hanging on the teacher and wetting her pants. They wanted to put them on Ritalin, and I said, you know. We can do anything, but th- I said, why would you want to teach these kids that have, like, a greater than 50-50 chance of being an alcoholic that, that pills are the solution to life? I wouldn't let them do it. I said, the pro- they have a mother problem. <laughs> they do not have a hyperactivity problem. They have a mother problem. Um, and it's worked out really well. Uh, like I said, those kids have grown up and, and done, done great. Now, they don't do everything exactly the way I think they should, um, which causes me some disturbance. Um, at times, my daughter, you know, you, I was telling Sally, today I usually am pretty peaceful a lot of the time. Uh, I don't wake up thinking about myself the minute that I open my eyes. I'm not terrified a lot. I would get really, really scared. I didn't know I was doing stuff to scare myself the whole time I was scared, but I was scared a lot. Um, when I finally found out that um, the things I was doing were scaring me, I was able without, just to go do something else with you instead of doing what was scaring me. But when things happen in life, and there aren't very many of them is what I found out, there are, most of the stuff that happens in my life is self-imposed. If it's bad, if it has a negative impact on me, it's bad. I had something to do with it. There are a few things that don't. Um, but when those things happen, I, I do get scared. And my automatic response today is to redouble my spiritual efforts. And I don't know where that comes from, except I went to a meeting every single day, twice a day, for years and years and years. Um, I, I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't like it. it may, I don't like that sick feeling in my stomach anymore. It, it went away, and I don't want it back. And when I do something, or, or something happens in my life that's different, like we moved, and I, I, had, the, I had an experience where I did something that upset everybody, and and me, and I was scared again, and I hated it, I was mad that I had this feeling again, why did you do, you know, but, but what I found out is life will keep going on, um, and a few things will happen that will be tough like that, but I have a solution already, it's already in place, it's been in place because the people that taught me, my sponsor, that he died a few years ago, his last words to me were stay happy and find a brand new drunk to work with. Um, that was neat. That was, that was exciting um, to know that every time somebody has, has died in my family I've either been at a conference just went to one or was going to one uh, I don't know how God does all that he takes such perfect care of me nothing has ever been removed that, it, that, that the whole um, that his loving hands weren't already there taking care of me beforehand um, My mother died from alcoholism she taught me something so important that I hope I never forget it Um, because if I do (laughs) you sure won't hear me speaking again Um, she died from alcoholism and she was this really wonderful lady Uh, she was a much better mother than I ever both my parents were great Um, and she was dying from alcoholism and I remember seeing her in a hospital bed and we had been going through the routine probably all of you have been through this either you know with someone that you've met in the program or with someone in your own family and she's laying in the hospital bed one more time, and she was asleep. And I went in, and I looked at her, and I'd been sober maybe six years, and I looked at her, and I said, uh, I didn't talk to her because she was sleeping. And I stood there and realized that she did not do that to herself on purpose. Up until that time, I kept thinking, she's my mother. Why isn't she being a better mother? You know, she doesn't love us. Um, All that stuff that that we think about ourselves, really. I mean, I thought I was thinking about other people. I was thinking it about myself. Why don't you care more? Why don't you try harder? Why why aren't the things that are supposed to be important to you important to you? Um, And I realized she didn't do that to herself on purpose. And at that moment, I think I understood that I was an alcoholic, that I'm an alcoholic, that I will drink again whether I mean to or not, whether I want to or not, if I don't do something different. Um, She had a chance at one point... Well, her chance was she couldn't swallow anymore. So she was mad about it, and she was telling me she couldn't swallow anymore, so now she couldn't drink her beer. We could only do the pills now. And um, I said, well, Mom, why don't you come to AA? But by then, she was so far gone she couldn't go anywhere, really. And she said, well, I couldn't couldn't get to a meeting. I couldn't get that far. And I said, well, they'll come to you. Well, then the conversation ended. (laughs) But I don't know why. I don't know why I've been given an opportunity that other people that are I think more deserving and better than I um, have never get. I, I I fought with that for a long time. It says in the book stuff about cannot or will not. Um, and I walked around AA for a long time thinking that I knew who couldn't and who wouldn't. <laughs> you, know? you won't, so I'm not talking to you. You're to hell with you. Um, and, and you can't, and you're very sad, but you, know, you better go to the hospital. And I found out that I have no idea who can't and who won't. And I have no idea when that will change. And that the only thing that gets between alcohol and somebody like me is God. No other human being. I learned that with all the people that, that I've worked with over the... All the people I've tried to fix in AA. You know? I've gotten in between people and drinks <laughs> and you get hurt <laughs> you get it. I mean one way or another you get hurt if you get in between an alcoholic and what he wants to drink and that was certainly true in my life anybody that got between me and, and a drink got hurt and um, you know I'm not I don't think Alcoholics Anonymous here is here to get between people and drinking but I do think that, that I need a lot of help in a spiritual way of living I need a lot of help once that happens once that, that intervention from God happens, that I need a lot of help to continue to grow in that. Um, and, and that's what the fellowship does for me. And the steps continually do that for me. Uh, um, the first inventory I did, there wasn't even, there was nothing about where I was at fault because I didn't think I was. Um, and you know, that didn't matter. I took the action that it says to take it to the best of my ability, which was pretty pathetic, <laughs> but it worked. And, and I've taken many more since. And now, usually what comes to my mind first is where I'm at fault, which really ticks me off. Because I would like to get angry sometimes and really have, you know, somebody to be resentful at. Uh, I got married about four years ago to a man who's an Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's, it's been a trip, <laughs> it's been a journey. It's been fun. Um, he does Alcoholics Anonymous the same way that I was taught to do it. All out. It's the center focus of his life. He works with a lot of new people. He loves alcoholics, um, and I don't know that it gets any better than that than to have the same, you know, um, primary purpose in your life. Um, and we had our ups and downs. I mean, as soon as we got, I mean, we did really fine dating. By then, I had learned all those horrible lessons, and I was not going to do the same thing over again. And we did really fine dating. The minute that we moved in together, the minute we got married. I mean I I wanted I was doing the God thing again you know like do you love me do you love me (laughs) he was like get out of my face go to a meeting and uh then we would fight over the phone and I was mad at his new I mean I I'm just human you know and I do that stuff I fall right back into it but today when I call my friends and tell them that stuff they say Jeannie the problem is you go to a meeting my sponsor would say pray and if you need to talk to somebody about it, talk to Bob that's my husband (laughs) I don't want to talk to him about it so I'd go to a meeting and pray um and to, today, that's still what we do. Uh, it's, it's tremendous joy. Our children, a couple times recently, we have this big, huge, king-size bed because we found out we couldn't sleep in a queen-size bed cause, <laughs> because it was a little... I'm very set in my ways. <laughs> I snore really loud, and he kicks all night, and it just wasn't working. We got this huge bed. Well, I found out why we got this huge bed. We paid way too much for it, but um, a couple times recently, these children... Uh, the 20-year-old, Bob's 20-year-old daughter lives with us. Um, my 19-year-old daughter and my 16-year-old son, now they're huge. All of them are really tall. Well, Tracy's not really tall, but Timmy's 6'3". Um, he was one year old when I got sober. <laughs> you talk about it. If you want to know what happened, talk to him. Um, anyway, they all of a sudden, Bob will go back to lay down and watch television. Then one of them will go back, and then I'll go back. All five of us are in this king-size bed, laying on this king-size bed. And Bob and I are still the same way we were probably our whole lives. Like, get out of here. (laughs) I want to be alone. And uh, the cat, even the cat comes. and and You know, it's like, this does not happen to people like me. I do not want to be around you. I went to meetings to get away from my children for years. They're why I'm sober, because I hated them. I wanted to go to a meeting. My mother would say that. My mother said that to me. She said, you know, the only reason you go to meetings is to get away from those kids. And she was right. Um, But it got me there. Uh, And here we are with all these kids. And they love us. And they're happy. You know, my daughter is sober and alcoholics anonymous. Tracy goes to Um, Al-Anon. It's just been... This is what I heard from these podiums that I thought would never happen to me, you guys. You know, this is the stories I was hearing ten years ago from people that have been sober for years and years and years. And God had turned their life around. And even the stuff that didn't work out the way that it's supposed to or the way we all think it's supposed to worked out better than, than you would ever think. And everything's okay. And life goes on. And you have operations. And you're sick. And you have money. And you don't have money. And you have cars that work. And you have cars that won't start. And you get flat tires, and um, you 're fat and you 're thin, and you have a boyfriend and you don 't, and you have a husband and you don 't, and the kids act right, and they don 't and uh, it go, you know all that stuff life happens you know but but it doesn 't matter it, i mean it 's like it all matters, but it 's like it 's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that i 'm here i 'm with all of you, and uh, God is with all of us. And we just keep on going and do the best that we can today. So I think I'm done. Thank God. (laughs) Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for asking me to talk. I didn't say that at the beginning. I don't think I meant to. Um, it's, It's a privilege. I appreciate it very much. Thank you.